0: Art on Your Sleeve. Hello and welcome to Art on Your Sleeve episode 10. This is a companion podcast to a pop art feature that I wrote for Classic Pop Magazine issue number 4 the one with Annie Lennox on the cover, photographed by Peter Ashworth. The magazine was originally published in May, June 2013 and was the first pop article that I wrote. So it's quite nice to finally get around to creating a podcast to support it. In this episode, I speak to Fraser Taylor, who was one quarter of a collective called The Cloth. I became aware of Fraser's work and the work of David Band through record covers that they designed in the very early 80s, up until the mid-80s for artists like Aztec Camera, Spandau Ballet, Altered Images, The Bluebells, etc. And in this episode, I speak to Fraser at Glasgow School of Art, where he studied with David Band. So sit back, enjoy the music, and listen to what he has to say.
1: in 1983, just after we graduated from the Royal College of Art, and there was four of us, uh, myself, David Band, Brian and Helen Manning, and the intention of the studio was to establish um, a facility that we could engage in projects that uh, transition between fine art and design. So um, textiles was kind of the core of that, because we came from a background in printed textile design but we're really interested in how image making from textiles textiles could be expanded into graphics, illustration, corporate identity, and the fine art world as well.
0: How did you initially make those links because I know that D- David particularly at the start was designing stuff for altered images before you'd even gone to the, was that when you when he was at the, when you were both at the
1: GSA, was Yeah, that? so we both studied printed textiles at Glass School of Art from uh, 19, well we started Glass School of Art together in 1977 and the first year was a general year and then second, third and fourth year we both specialised in printed textiles and... We, well, at that time it was before internet for phone, mobile phones, so the social culture of Glasgow was very important and it was also at the rise of the uh, Glasgow music scene. I've got some archive interview content
0: here from the early 1980s when David Band was interviewed on the late night Channel 4 programme talking about the relationship between artist and designer and musician. So it gives an interesting insight into that creative relationship.
2: Uh, once upon a time, We all met in the pubs in Glasgow. There was Claire and the rest of Altered Images. Some of Orange Juice, Aztec Camera, Joseph K, all that kind of scene. Um, My brother and Ian, who were like the jazzetteers at the time. Um, Bluebells, everyone was going to see the same bands, probably themselves, uh, play every week. And it was just like, I got involved with that sort of music thing. And then when the first deal came up for Altered Images, they asked me to do the artwork which was a great opportunity to get into this thing. And I didn't have a clue how to start off with illustration. I used to just send paintings down to the record company the whole time and they would help me lay it out.
1: Relationships were developed basically through sort of um, social connections. Um, I worked in the Spaghetti Factory, which was a restaurant in the west end of Glasgow on Gibson Street and Claire Grogan also worked in the Spaghetti Factory. Ah. So that's how we originally met. But David, in fact, met Claire when Claire was still at high school, so it was kind of a very sort of social um, activity. The main sort of bar that we kind of all hang out in was called The Rock Garden, which is on Queen Street in Glasgow. And that is where um, Roddy Frame would hang out, it's where all the Bluebells would hang out, it's where the management companies used to hang out. So Mm. that was kind of the bar that you would go to where you would be guaranteed you're going to meet people from the music scene. Not that we were going to meet them because they were famous, because they weren't famous at that point. It was just we're all kind of at the same stage of our creative development. So that's kind of where we all hang out. So in those early days,
0: you know, looking at, looking at these record sleeves for the first, you know, for the first altered images, singing like Dead Pop Stars, and then A Day's Wait, and then obviously the big hit Happy Birthday. Was that, can you remember where those ideas came from?
1: Were they things that David had done at, at college or? Absolutely. So these were pages probably in the sketchbook. So, right. um, David actually had the desk next to me in printed textiles, so we're very aware of what each other were doing. And um, I can't, I remember those images very, very clearly, and there were definitely ideas he was developing in his sketchbook. The decision to turn them into record sleeves, I'm very unsure of how that happened. It right. could have been as simple, as basic as. Autodimension's management uh, coming along and saying I like that I don't like that, I like that one, let's use that. I don't think there was any large conceptual framing for the work I don't think it was really related necessarily to the content of the music I think it was purely a visual um,
0: decision. I know that um, when we interviewed Claire for um another magazine I can't remember the name of it now and she have actually got a quote for her and she says here in the 80s bands were quite competitive about their record sleeves they were trying to create something unique pushing the boundaries of fashion music and art and they very grand ideals that just wouldn't have today we tried to incorporate art into the music and it had been it done be, been before it had been done before with the Beatles and Peter Blake for instance but we were we were the first of this new era and it wasn't simply a matter of producing a piece of artwork, it was more of an active involvement, the band were keen to have pieces of art which were more sophisticated and unlike the work of other bands and David totally tapped into all of that stuff
1: as, as did I, you with your work. I think that's a very good quote and I think it's kind of interesting what she says they're very competitive so David and I were sort of allies and very good friends and peers and Uh, I don't think we were competitive with each other, but we were very much in aligned with each other. We were very regarded as a, even at that point, I think a creative team. Mm. So um, I think because... David was being employed by Autodimages Images and Aztec Camera, so when the bluebells, not they were kind of like, okay, we'll go for, we'll go for Fraser, so we'll kind of set up a bit of tension between yeah. um, David and Fraser and all. Autod- you know, so it was in a very friendly way. I don't mean at all it was aggressive mm. or really competitive, but it was just this kind of like, well, you've got David, so we'll take Fraser. It was kind of that that kind of uh, situation that went on, and the work that you were both doing was
0: very. Similar in style as well at that time. I mean, obviously, we were using the same medium, the sort of collage, paper, paint, etc. And I, th- I thought it was quite interesting as well, the, um, the, a quote from David where he said that our aim is to lose the idea of being an individual while keeping our own identity. Is that just wow. him being pretentious? Well, uh, when, when did he say that? He said it in, I think it was actually an interview magazine, I think that one
1: was from. I have no memory of him ever saying that. <laughs> David is very good at making these one-liners that completely don't make sense. Very and profound. Very profound. <laughs> um,
0: and so he, st- he stayed with altered images for uh, he went. The design for altered images was from sort of 1981 to 1983 when, when they were at their peak, mm-hmm. and it felt a bit like when when they went more mainstream and started using more obvious pictures of Claire. That's right. It lost that sort of artistic edge really.
1: If Still involved in that original transition, he still helped styled those original those photographs of Claire when she started to look like who were they kind of modelling her on. Kind of, she looks like some sort of 15, sort of, you know, film film person, yeah. uh, Breakfast Tiffany's kind of yeah. character. And David was involved in that conversation about how that transition was going to happen. But I think at a certain point when. The photographic images took over from the illustrative mm. image, he so really pulled back. And by that time, he was had moved on anyway, so it was, um, it was okay, it was all good. Yeah, because by
0: 1983, which is a nice segue into our next, next, he'd started working with Spandau Ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was an overlap between the two, but it was pretty much finished with altered images when he started taking on the main design responsibilities for... Spandau Ballet, and the first one was... So when did that happen? That was, was 1983. The...
1: Right. David at this point really fell in love with felt pens, with marker pens. Right. <laughs> he really sort of, like, he... He was all about gouache, he was all about mixing colour, um, you know, painting colour, flat colour, then turning that colour into collaged images. Then he uh, transitioned into photographic images with the, um, images and uh, superimposed on top of that. Then he fell in love with felt pens, these big markers, and he liked the kind of um, the artificial quality of the colour, the synthetic quality of the colour. So that's kind of maybe what um, informs the colour palette in these particular album sleeves or record sleeves. And he used to just sit um, he worked a lot in the studio. We were at Royal College at this point, and he had a, a desk in his uh, flat in South London. We shared a flat together, and he really he got really into working on layout paper, right. like sketchbooks. So, so he would literally just make these drawings one after the other, kind of very, very fast, very quick. And again, I have memories of actually Gary Kemp coming round to the flat and so sort of, you know talking with David about you know what was going on, and mm. that was the sort of decision off it. I think by this point they were sent images like the Dove, which was very related to to some of the songs that um, that, Spanda Ballet were writing at that time. So Gary
0: was sort of involved in the creative process a little Uh bit in in Uh terms of the sort of imagery that was
1: used. Uh Okay. They, they all were. Sort of a, I do remember sort of quite a, uh, an interesting moment when we were at Royal College and suddenly we got a phone call from the front desk to say that was Spandau Valley were there and so <laughs> they wanted to come up to see the textile studio then they wanted to come see the canteen and kind of it was just this you know kind of crazy moment again of them being there and uh, they were all there they were all taking interest in it but I think the final creative decisions were very much Gary's. He said in an interview
0: actually that uh
1: he had a really good working
0: relationship with David and David was, uh, to quote, a very gentle and very funny funny guy with a very dry wit. In another bit of archive interview footage I've been able to find, here's Gary Kemp talking about how he ended up working with David Band and the cloth on the record sleeves for Spandau Ballet and what it was that he particularly liked about the design
2: style. I was a bit unhappy with the sleeve format that had sort of taken over a bit which is just single lines and dots, you know, the graphic look. I wanted something a bit more figurative, I think, and um, <clears throat> got to like David's work and just it was, it was interesting and exciting just just seeing someone get, get get excited about something that, in the same way that I get excited about my music, but about a completely different art form, but in the same way. and. Uh, he just got to know the band sort of socially from then on really and um, it was a natural thing to ask him to do the sleeve. It's through something like the cloth where, where they use um, fashion and, and uh, record sleeves to, to focus their attention um, and to channel their ideas through that they can come into... Uh, other people can get to know their ideas and, and enjoy them and then hopefully gradually, you know, be- begin to lose that stigma of what art is as though sort of only a few snobby people can ever understand it.
1: the original connection for spanda ballet stepping back a bit happened in glasgow so um they came up to glasgow i think to see altered images perform right so um and again i remember Glass School of Art had the Victoria Cafe which was kind of our social kind of hub of Glass School of Art and uh, I don't think they performed there, I think they just kind of made disappearance and you know we're talking early, late 70s, early 80s and Spandard Ballet were at their sort of um, new romantic peak so it was a very exciting moment and I think you know uh, Gary had already met Claire so that's kind of how the whole social thing sort of evolved it then led to David doing the record sleeves.
0: So the style of work that uh, David was producing at that period that you mentioned the felt tips and the colouring in and then it evolved into sort of more kind of use of um, collage and um, pastels and then we ended up with these kind of beautiful large scale oil paintings. Uh, do you remember the the, the process about that? And the, I,
1: mean. I, I do remember. So this was at a time when, uh, as a collective as the cloth, we were spending a lot of time in New York. We were sort of, going to New York on sales trips for selling textile designs and working with various fashion houses in New York. Um, so again, we were sort of, very embedded in the sort of art culture of New York. Um, again, the early eighties, when the Lower East Side of the East Village was where lots of things were happening. There was. Um, and we were talking about uh, Keith Haring was really kind of on the rise, uh, Julian Schnabel was very much on the rise, Clemente was, and they were artists, John Michelle Basket, who were very present in that social culture as well, mm-hmm. they were very visible, and um, this new movement in painting that we as a cloth were particularly interested in, but David had a real passion for uh, Julian Schnabel's paintings and this sort of very heroic male character right. um, in that. So I think that was the kind of trigger or sort of seeing a lot of um, the Schnabel paintings really motivated David to make those large canvases of these very sort of statuesque figures.
0: Right. Because you you rubbed shoulders with the, the great and the good of the art world, didn't you? Didn't you meet Andy Warhol and um, do work
1: for interview magazines? There was, and stuff? There was a, yeah, there was a time when, you know, again... The illustration works spilled over into working with magazines, publications, so the cloth were invited to do a series of uh, illustrations for Interview Magazine. They also did an interview with us. And uh, so um, one day, Dave and I were invited to the factory in uh-huh. New York. Um, so maybe with the thought that we were going to meet Andy Warhol, but weren't quite sure. But in fact, we were eventually taken through to this, his private dining room and oh, wow. yeah, we had dinner with Mr. Warhol, which was a kind of crazy, insane experience, <laughs> which um, I'll never forget and treasure. But um, I was literally speechless. I just I could, could not speak at all. I was
0: just like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> David, actually, in, in another reference here, another uh, quote, from, from an article, I think this might have been an Interview Magazine, he, he, David said that you used to think that his paintings when he was being influenced by David Sal and Sandro Cheer, you said uh, that you, he thought Fraser thinks my paintings are a reflection of my chauvinist, chauvinistic <laughs> attitudes and he thinks the large limbs are too macho but you should never try to explain a painting I suppose you could say that my work crosses between decorative art and figurative art Didn't you say you you had some discussion with him around
1: the the imagery? You know, I have some issues with some of those paintings, (laughs) um, particularly the one of Helen, actually. This is Helen. And And that uh, was on the cover of uh, Highly Strong. Yeah, so um, just, yeah, this sort of maybe... Um... Yeah, so this the the, the male the, the appearance of the male figure in the painting or sort of even female figures being painted in a very masculine form and mm. uh, you know it goes right back to the tradition of the Glasgow boys or Scottish painters this idea of the masculine being the uh, dominant so it gets yeah. into politics and so uh, we used to uh, we used to enjoy arguing about that of <laughs> course he never paid any attention to what I said so it's just it's just a banter and they did they are great paintings I
0: mean they yeah, are very they're very strident bit, yeah. and bold but yeah. You know, in terms of a record cover, they really stood out.
1: And they were massive. There were six-foot square paintings. Mm. So, you know, it was at a time when, um, you know, there was no scanners, really. So it's like, you know, so the, the art, uh, yeah. photographers had to come to the studio to photograph the paintings that would then go to the design studio. So it really made the, the process of the design cover Quite complicated, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of extra sp- expense involved in hiring a photographer to take photographs of the painting, blah blah blah.
0: So yeah. I remember seeing them and go- going to the exhibition that you did in the 80s at, at uh, Waterman's Gallery mm. and expecting uh, them to be 12-inch squares, and then right. just walking in and seeing massive. these six-foot squares. It was quite yeah, like quite daunting, yeah. yeah. Um, were any of these other figures you mentioned that the highly strung was based on Helen? Can you remember uh, the others? That, that's a, they're
1: paintings of himself. Right. <laughs> that's David and that's David. So um, in those two covers, which are... Which ones are these? For Only
0: When You Leave and yeah. I'll Fly For so You. So he,
1: um, he, uh, he would pose and then he would ask one of us to take a photograph of him and then right. he'd paint from the photograph. Or make, yeah, make sketches from the photograph. But they yeah he liked, he liked making drawings of himself.
0: Aztec camera you did mention Aztec camera a little bit earlier, and around that time he was also work, working on the sleeves for some singles and the iconic cover of the Highland Hard Rain album. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember how the
1: working relationship with Roddy came about? Um, again, you know, I think it literally came about from, I just remember Roddy being, uh, you know, again, drinking in the rock garden, being part of that, and then when we all moved down to London, I think Roddy moved as well. A lot of the postcard record boys moved down to London. Mm-hmm and so yeah that's kind of really how it was. Roddy was maybe not quite as visible you know in terms of the social connection he Mm. was a bit uh, more backstage and much quieter individuals, so um, I don't have such a strong memory of, of Roddy being around. But again, I'm sure the relationship was established through a kind of back-and-forward conversation of David making images, Roddy coming to look at them, probably the management company looking at them, and then the, the record company taking a look and this sort of conversation that happened between these three groups of people.
0: And again, w- when um, we were talking about the scale of artwork before, I remember when I went round to see uh, Keith Band, David's brother, who was in Borgie Borgie, of course. Mm -hmm. They they had the
1: original artwork for Highland Hard Rain, and I was expecting it again to be a 12-inch square. It's it's bigger. It is bigger, yeah. yeah. And that was at a time, David, well we were working, making textiles for Jeff Banks at that point, for the warehouse group in London. And so a lot of the the pattern and the texture, the colour used on those record sleeves were taken from some of the textile designs that David was designing for Jeff Banks. So there's a real sort of crossover between all these different activities. Uh, So as you said, the cloth was involved in many different disciplines and they really did kind of um, overlap with each other. So sometimes, as I'm sure you know, the deadlines for things suddenly become very very you know very quick quick mm-hmm. turnaround so there's usually a certain point I sort of what what ideas can i take from a textile design that might then be appropriate for a record sleeve and vice versa
0: I was looking at uh, Keith Van's collection of stuff. It, uh, he had all the original drawings for all
1: the Bougie Bougie stuff as well. Do you remember much about that period? Uh, yep. Well, Keith, you know, it was obviously David's brother. So again, you know, these drawings, uh, particularly the, the black kind, I of think that was something, uh, again, he, David got really into sort of echoing Keith Haring's drawings So this very sharp graphic black and white uh, drawing that he would then sort of um, turn into an opposite or uh, white line on black ground. Mm -hmm. And Keith was obviously in London a lot at this point as well, so it was just this constant conversation between the two of them.
0: So on to your work, to, and we're going back a bit in time now, so you, you, you did mention the Blue
1: Bells and Friends Again and stuff, but you were still a student. I was, so, you know, my sort of connection with the Friends Again happened again at when we were still in Glasgow. And I really was following on after David, really. David really did set the tone for this whole thing that happened. You know, he was very much at the forefront of the music scene. He was also the manager of Bougie Bougie that became Jazzy and vice versa. He, All his really close friends were in the music scene, so he was really embedded and ingrained in that culture. So I was kind of, sort of tagging along a wee bit. I'm quite happy to do that. Didn't have a problem with it. Um, so, um, the friends again. Manager, uh, sorry, the Bluebells manager was Mark Wilson, who was again somebody who was very central to Glasgow social culture. Um, so he became a friend, and I think again originally with that idea of setting up some sort of tension or competition between David and I, he said, you know, would you like to do? The f- uh, the first sleeve i did was cath for the bluebells which was which year was that that would have been 1983 okay so it's probably yeah just so by this time we you know we'd moved to london we were coming to the end of royal college um, so at that point i think mark approached me to uh, design the cath sleeve and again it, it was an interesting time, and to maybe expand on what I said earlier on, that um, I think the first meeting was Mark came to the studio at the Royal College and we, we talked about ideas, and I made some images from photographs of, of, of the group and from my own sort of ideas of what Kath might look like. And then it was a very much a back and forward. I don't remember Bobby Bluebell being around much at that point. It was very much a conversation between me, Mark and the record company. And there was quite a lot of back and forward at that point. I think it wasn't quite as straightforward as, here's the artwork, hope you like it, good luck. You know, it was kind of, there was sometimes a negotiation, you know, record companies um, kind of were very positive about me being involved and, you know, what David had done. But, you know, they had to make their mark on it as well. I don't think I have any memory of it being a straightforward transition. (laughs) was always Very rarely
0: is. Very rarely is. And... um, those images that you used, because I've seen some of your work from that period, they're, they're sort of like the, the visuals that are in there are very much part of the sort of stuff that you were producing at that Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And that presumably is what fed into you ending up designing some of the clothes that they wore on stage. And and didn't
1: you, did you design T-shirts? T- t- I think for we probably designed them? T-shirts for them. And they, in fact, uh, borrowed a lot of textiles. I was printing at Royal College at the time for a, a backdrop for... Um, their, their their tour, um. So um, the whole backdrop, which I think it's a photograph of, of on Cath or one of them on the back. Yes. So these massive textiles that I was making at the Royal College, they borrowed them to take on tour, but in fact they lost them, so they kind of disappeared somewhere along the line. Oh. I think they left them in a hotel room in Dundee somewhere. So <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope somebody, I hope the cleaner found them or somebody found them. But um, so yeah, there is images of them perform. I don't actually remember that either. I think um, you know. So yeah, there was lots of there were keen. To use everything that I was doing to kind of create a sort of uh, a total look, a total, mm. a total concept, and a bit more sort of obscure. You did
0: some work for the Impossible Dreamers, and they they there were two singles you did covers for that weren't <coughs> hits, and and they I only hits. I only found them through a very yeah, obscure yeah. means. But can yeah. you remember much about those at all? Is so just... I
1: think it was this so which so uh, they you know and again it was the manager who approached me and I I can't remember his name to be honest with you and he tracked me down and came so I think that's when the cloth was already was, was established we had a studio in South London um, I think connection through record companies he came along he was a lovely charming man and we had a nice conversation about images that he liked I was making and he asked if he could use them on the record sleeve so I don't think I ever met the band I think right. I maybe went to see them once in concert but it was a very um, kind of close but distant relationship There wasn't really much investment of time or building that relationship, Um, so yeah, it's kind of a bit blurry. But but Friends Again as well, that was a, a, a band that I worked for who also Mark Wilson was their manager as well, so that's how that happened. Right, okay. So as well as um,
0: designing all this stuff for these bands um, and having having them as friends and going to the same places as them, the, the cloth and yourself and David ended up appearing in all the same magazines as them as well. In the, you know those sort of style magazines of the '80s like Blitz and Face and ID and. Um, how did all that happen because you had an amazingly high profile for it, for a design company at that time?
1: Um, it happened because well, I think again, so we graduated from Royal College in 1983 and um, It was a time in London where uh, sort of, the fashion industry was about to take on a sort of massive boom So sort of, London became the center of global fashion for the sort of, 80s as we know now with body map, Catherine Hamnett Betty Jackson, various other designers um, so our departure from the Royal College into sort of the real world was sort of very timely in um, there was lots of people looking for very large scale, very painterly images, uh, slightly illustrative but moving into abstraction as well. So we we didn't plan this but this was just, it was just really, really good timing. We just literally had the product that lots of people were looking for. Um, so that was a kind of really fortunate thing but it was a real turn, 1983 was a really big turning point for i think lots of design uh, in london and mm. design globally there was people were really being challenged by thinking about new ways to approach design and textiles textile designers were Beginning to receive the same sort of uh, attention or accolades as a fashion designer. So that was a, a new thing that was happening as well. So the whole sort of boom of this visual world, which also aligned with club culture, kind mm. of really came to the forefront. And people like Lynn Franks, who became our PR. She was at the centre of that movement. So just one thing led to the other and the whole thing just kind of exploded. Because you were in London sort
0: of post-Blitz scene, weren't you? When yeah. kind of the Taboo Club was there and the Wag Club and all uh-huh. of
1: those things. They uh-huh. were your playgrounds. Absolutely, totally. And um, again, I keep talking about being you know, before internet or the mobile phone, but it's like, yeah, that's you knew on a Tuesday night if you went there, who was going to be there. And if you want to talk to them, that's how you did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, nobody used phones. We mm-hmm. didn't have phones, you know. That was, um, I mean, Amazing to think how we survive but, <laughs> but that's yeah, you just knew who was going to be there on certain nights and then you would work in the studio or I mean Dave and I both had pub, uh, jobs in pubs and uh, we were still at college and we'd go and work and then we'd go to a club and that's where you would do your kind of transactions and that's where you'd meet people who would then introduce you to other people. so it was a really kind of quite tight social social network.
0: Making that transition from being kind of a bit underground and and it all being a bit informal and loose, in the um, article in in Interview Magazine, there was one question that made me laugh because you you were the the person who answered differently. So there was, do you like the idea of mass production? And uh, Brian said no, Helen said no, David said no, and you said yes. I get a real wow. kick out of having hundreds of t-shirts delivered with the same wow. design on it. Clothes shouldn't be precious. I don't think they should be hung in a gallery, but on the other hand, once I got ripped off when I was sold some designs to a company and they resold them to another company, um, thank God my name wasn't on them. So do you still hold that view?
1: I, I, st- I think I think the whole point of the clause. I'm surprised, you know, I know that Brian and Helen and David said no. I'm surprised they did say no, because <laughs> I think that was one of the reasons that we established the clause because we wanted to have um, work that was available in, in galleries and so within a fine art contest, but we're also very interested in mass production. I mean, at one point we designed for Marks and Spencer, so, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't get... You know, more mass production than that. So it's that relationship between mass production and individual production that we're really interested in. So, yeah, I mean, it was yeah, amazing to see thousands of things being produced, but, um, yeah, I enjoyed that. Mm. So going full circle, we have started
0: We started at the end of the 1970s at Glasgow School of Art, and back at the end of the 2010s, we're back at Glasgow School of Art, sort of reappraising this whole body of work. Mm. Uh, with a view to it becoming something else. Can you talk a little bit about what, what the potential is there?
1: Uh, so, um, I lived in Chicago for 16 years. I moved to Chicago in 2001, and in 2013 I was awarded a sabbatical and I came back to Scotland for a year. And when I left London to go to Chicago, I put all my studio in storage very, very quickly. I didn't catalog it. I just basically knew there was a lot of paintings were went into storage. Um, I went to Chicago with the intention of staying for one year, stayed for 16. Uh, so I kind of lost track of what was in that storage space. And, but by sabbatical, I went down to London to take a look. And there's a lot of paintings there. And there was four cardboard boxes, but I had no idea what was in them. And I assumed there were books, but of course I hadn't labelled them. So because I was back in Scotland, I'd arranged to have everything brought up to Scotland to look at it again. And uh, when I opened up these four boxes, they were full of my work from... 1977 to 87, so sketchbooks, textiles, record sleeves, ephemera, postcards, an amazing kind of library of stuff that I literally thought had been lost over the years, so it was a real kind of um, exciting moment. I think yourself, was able to come to the studio and take mm. a look at Andrew, and um, Jimmy Cosgrove, who was my professor at Glass School of Art, my head of department, printed textiles, he came to the studio, and he saw it, and he said... You know, it would be really amazing if you donated this to Glass School of Art Archives so uh, next minute they were in the studio and they said yes we'll take it, we'll look after it for you and they, we put it all back in the boxes again and it went to GSA up to the Macintosh building here and unfortunately tragically a few days later uh, Glass School of Art mm-hmm. Macintosh building went on fire so um, the work was in the basement in the storage space but unfortunately had not been put away in shelves or anything so it got water damaged, Mm -hmm. um, but not destroyed. So that was good news. So we spent the last few years trying to have that work uh, restored or stabilised so that uh, no further um, activity will happen with that work. So we've been looking at that work through the lens of conservation and through historians and archivists. And uh, Dr. Helena Britt from Glass School of Art, Head of Printed Textiles, um, put an application in into the Leverhulme Trust uh, to receive a grant um, to research this body of work and to try and contextualise it within what was happening in Glasgow School of Art at that time, what was happening in London, within this broader context and uh, great news that Helena received that funding. So that's kind of where we are now. We're right. looking at that work through a lens of trying to kind of contextualise it within a broader context of what was happening in art schools, what was the, uh, the teaching philosophy of that time, but also what was happening in these social cultures that enabled this work to happen. And if people want to stay up to date with what's
0: happening with that, there's an Instagram group, I believe, which is The Cloth 80s, and there's a Facebook group as well, so we can share information about all of that through both of those
1: things. Fraser, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Have you enjoyed it? It was great. Really amazing (laughs) to look at and think about those uh, very happy days. Thank you.